There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's December 20th, 1860, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. In Victorian Britain, Dan Leno, born today in history in 1860, was one of the most famous names in showbiz, entertaining music hall audiences with songs with impossibly musical titles like My Wife's Relations, Going to the Races, and All Through a Little Piece of Bacon. But he also had another claim to fame as the pantomime dame who would inspire pantomime dames for generations to come. (laughs) Well, look, as we're starting with his birth, it's probably worth mentioning that he got onto the stage pretty much immediately. He was like (laughs) the ultimate kid of what in the modern world we would call a dance mom. You know, he (laughs) was the child of two relatively unsuccessful music hall performers and they pushed him onto the stage uh, where he began uh, in Paddy with his own act that was called Little George, the Infant Wonder, Contortionist and Posturer. And he was actually a bit of a wonder. While he was still very young, Leno won the World Clog Dancing Championship in Leeds. You add in Leeds as if, you know, Britain's clog (laughs) capital. I mean, we'll we'll get back to his earlier biography in a second, but it's worth saying, because we don't normally commemorate birthdays on this show, but it just so happens that he was born at Christmas time. But the reason it's fitting to do Dan Leno this week is because he really did originate the Panto Dame. If you've never been to a Panto, you'll have heard of the characters that he created. Widow Mm. Twanky, Dame Durden, Mother Goose. (laughs) And even if you do go to a Panto now, and it's like a GB News-feared woke Panto, where they don't have (laughs) cross-dressing men playing dames anymore but women, they'll still be in these stock characters. And considering he came out of a tradition based around stock characters already... It's remarkable, isn't it, that he created these three characters that are still being reflected every year in theatres up and down the country right now. Mm. Yeah, he wasn't the first ever pantomime dame. That honour goes to a Mr Simmons, who in 1806 played Mother Goose in Harlequin and the Mother Goose, which was also the debut of Joseph Grimaldi. If you remember our episode Mm -hmm. on him, the legendary clown, the concept spread pretty quickly. By 1812, Grimaldi himself took a turn as panto dame. And by Ronda Belliana he played. Of Rondabella. That one doesn't get done by Ian McKellen now. <laughs> uh, the most famous dame, obviously, is Widow Twanky. And by oh, the... no, it isn't. Oh, Sorry. It had to happen at some point. I knew oh, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I was trying so hard to it's avoid making any declarative statements. So oh, no, you in. weren't. This episode's going to be actually impossible. <laughs> oh, no, it isn't. I can do this all day. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he didn't even invent Widow Twanky. Widow Twanky got her name in the 1860s. Before this, Aladdin's mother had gone by various names, including the Widow Mustafa, which is probably a bit more <laughs> ethnically accurate. Uh, she eventually got the name Twanky from what was at the time a cheap brand of Chinese tea. So it was a bit of a joke that, you know, mm. she was maybe a bit mutton dressed as lamb, that sort of situation. Uh-huh. Well, he was most celebrated as Dame Durden in Jack and the Beanstalk, which he began performing in uh, the Surrey Theatre in 1886. Was they called something else then, like Jack's Big 
tree or something. Jack, Jack's tree. enormous it, door. Jack and the Harlequin. I think it was called something like that. So, everything was so and so and the Harlequin. Yeah, because yeah. so I know that Jack and the Beanstalk, as we know it now, is like mm. a 20th century name on an old thing, but right. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's what just it's weird because I know the character Dame Durden, but I never thought Jack has a surname, but he obviously does. Right, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, Jack yeah, Durden because yeah. she's Jack's mother. Well, one reviewer wrote of his performance The cake for frolicsome humour is taken by the dapper newcomer, Mr. Dan Leno, who is sketched as the galvanic baroness in the wonderfully amusing dance which has set the house in a roar. This was a real sort of moment of realisation about really what this character in the uh, genre of pantomime could Mm. actually be and achieve. Okay, so that's where we're getting and that's where he's getting. Let's just go back to the middle of his life then to how he got there. (laughs) So he was a music hall star before he was a panto star and music hall then was quite a confrontational environment i mean mm. it was it's a working class entertainment mm. you know the, the the west end knobs went to go and watch posh shows and the people out in the music halls were paying very little for their seats mm. they were it was kind of like when we talk about shakespeare's day right there's a rowdy atmosphere everyone's drinking mm. there's people throwing things and if people didn't like your act then Afterwards, this audience, dockers, miners, sailors, would lamp you in the street. Mm. <laughs> it was quite a like comedy store plus type environment, mm. right? And in that kind of brawling atmosphere, he comes in and plays these character parts. He 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 perfects an act that resonates with this cross section of working class people. Well, how he made the transition from clog dancing prodigy to esteemed <laughs> character comedian. He started performing in sketches that were written by his stepfather. His stepfather was where he got the stage name Leno as well. That was the name that his stepfather used. Mm-hmm. He started performing these sketches his stepfather had written and developing these characters. He supposedly actually got the name Dan from a misprint on a playbill. His birth name was George. And he just people just rolled with things back then. That's they were a like, hell well, of I'm... a misprint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. He was like, well, I guess I'm just Dan now. Not a single letter in comedy. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he was also he was also a singer of comic songs and he kind of combined these things so it would be like a sketch that would surround a song so Mm. he'd give you the intro of the character Mm. and then sing a song as that character so some of the characters he played a policeman a henpecked husband a shop assistant a waiter you can kind of see how these would work they're really Mm. identifiable characters and would be still now he did the sort of Les Dawson I'm the gossipy woman over the fence Mm. thing you know, and it yeah. was like the audience hadn't seen themselves reflected in that way before. Yeah, but also I think he was really good at giving all of those characters a unique and identifiable personality. And that was one of the things that he was mm. praised for with the, the invention of the dames that he really pioneered. The writer Max Beerbohm said that Leno was exceptional in giving each of his dames a personality of her own from extravagant queen to artless gossip. Not only were these kind of, you know, recognisable tropes, but also there were people with whom the audience could identify either as being themselves or as having encountered in their everyday life. Yeah, and so after playing Jack's mother in the Surrey Theatre, two years later he was approached to play the Wicked Aunt in the Drury Lane panto, Mm. Babes in the Wood. Not Babes in the Wood and the Harlequin. Time had moved on by this point. (laughs) And, you know, this was a huge step up. You know, the Drury Lane pantomime was a massive annual event. So we should say for people who don't live in Britain, the Theatre Royal Drury Lane is still the biggest theatre in the UK. Yeah. It's massive. And it was such a hit that it was extended into April this was intended to be a Christmas entertainment. It was still running in April. And his association with it was so successful personally that he then went on to serve 
15 <laughs> years. I say serve, serve because yes. he came to boast that he would play the role for the term of my natural life. <laughs> so wow. he sort of had this thing in mind that he was like, it was a bit of a punishment or, almost <laughs> by the end of it. So Panto had evolved from the Harlequinades, as you were saying, but had been performed wordlessly for a while, mm. hence the name Panto Mime, mm. because of theatre regulations. So some of the more raucous venues didn't have a licence for spoken performance, hence Panto Mime. <laughs> and then what happened is this Victorian entrepreneur, Augustus Harris, saw how popular Music Hall was with the working classes and thought, I'm going to cream off the top, the very best performers from that, and bring them to the middle and upper class audiences in London. And that's how Leno ends up getting the invitation to be at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Because this audience was more refined, this was a real excuse for them to let their hair down. Mm. Even funny comedies from that era, like Oscar Wilde, are based around just slightly penetrating the mannered society he was in, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you have... (laughs) Men dressed as women with rouge on their faces doing fart gags. Yeah. Oh, that must be such a huge relief for the upper classes to go and watch that in uh, Drury totally. Lane. Yes. That massive venue with everyone rolling in the aisles. And that's how it evolved into this being a kind of Christmas treat, an annual Christmas tradition where everything was finely balanced. You know, a story for the kids, this broad comedy for the older generation, and then something we don't see so much these days, women playing the principal boy, something mm. for the dads. Because yeah. the thought of that was you can see a woman's tights and bottom because she's playing a boy and that's all right. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you say he was such a hit with the nobility because he was also a favourite of the king and Leno was called on to give a private solo performance at Sandringham, (laughs) which must have been both a thankless and daunting (laughs) uh, environment to enter when you're used to having food thrown at you. Who do you pick on for audience but especially (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, well, okay. Lady in waiting, is that okay? (laughs) Yeah. So he later recalled the Princess of Wales was just going to shake hands with me when she looked at my face and couldn't do it for some time because she was laughing so much. Behind the scenes, you know, he'd struggled with alcoholism for a long time and also he had these, not delusions, he had this ambition to be taken seriously as an actor and go on the stage and he dreamed of being a Shakespearean actor and these two things kind of conflated and after this command performance, it's really started to go sharply downhill. In fact, his friend Arthur Roberts later wrote, it seems an extraordinary thing to say but I really believe that King Edward's kindness was the unconscious means of hastening Dan Leno's mind over the borderline of insanity. In fact, some people have speculated he might have even had a brain tumour. He would have these you know, erratic, violent outbursts. He was struggling to remember lines. He eventually spent a few months in an asylum in Camberwell. I can't look at him without laughing, the doctor said. <laughs> I mean, he, he apparently did manage to you know, come back to sanity, but he died shortly after his release in 1904 in Ballum. At the age of 43, mm. yeah. Well, his premature death didn't end his association with the Drury Lane Theatre as it happens, because he continues, apparently, to haunt the theatre. He has been well, it's time uh, to introduce our special guest for the episode. <laughs> he's come all the way from Drury Lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, he's, uh, but apparently he is blamed for various uh, mischievous acts, including pushing uh, actors off the stage. It won't surprise you to know that I've also read this. Okay. I'm, I'm well into this. Okay, right. Well, The, thing the that Sound is- of Clogs. Yes. The, sound of clogs. <laughs> the haunting sound of clogs. And also, this is a weird one, mm. but he reveals himself in the form of a strong smell of lavender, mm. which Leno himself in his lifetime apparently covered himself with. I'm not saying that he doesn't haunt Drury Lane, but has anyone asked the cleaners if they use any lavender-scented cleaners? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tomorrow. 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. There's ten different versions, but everyone's listening to this version. There is no other version. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.